You're listening to the Laugh Factory Podcast Network. For more shows, visit the podcast page at laughfactory.com. It's the after laugh, after laugh. Welcome to the after laugh, after laugh, after laugh. <laughs> after laugh, man. <laughs> Go ahead, pull up a chair. Hey guys, it's Bill Dawes. Welcome to the After Laugh. Um, I'm very happy because I have someone I consider. I don't know why I always one. say this. I always say like, "Are you a friend of mine, Brent?" I always we're feel friends. Like, yeah, this is a. Uh, so I've known. This is Brent Morin. Like if I'm you mad don't know, that. <laughs> if you don't know Brent Morin, then, then you're uh, a lot of people. Then you're a piece of shit. That's no, what I uh, keep saying secretly uh, into my pillow. Brent is. Uh, you know, I, I I find your trajectory very very interesting because you you've been doing stand for how long? As you take well, a big like swig of wine. now, I'd say uh, 12 years now or something. 12 years. So I think w- one time I opened for you so at, I was 18. at at uh, at Caroline's, and yeah. uh, it was right after you booked the lead role in Indatable. Oh, and yeah. So Indatable was like uh, kind of the first season was kind of a – it hit it the first season. Obviously, it ran for three. So right, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and you were the lead guy. You were like uh-huh. number one on the call sheet. Well, Chris was. Chris uh, was? Yeah, he, 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 that was one of the things. When I got cast, he was, he was big on – just because of our friendship, Crystalie, I'm talking about. Uh, just because of our friendship, he wanted to be known that he was uh, top dog. <laughs> top dog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. He has no idea how close he was to not being cast, and I'm the one who pushed him to be cast. <laughs> so I did it to myself. Okay. Good. I'm glad we can. <laughs> he was already on now. another show, Whitney. So. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, the rich get richer. Huh, and, <laughs> and you've been you've been kind of. We talked about this briefly. I, I'm, I think we were in an Uber. I think we were both drunk. I went to going to a party in Brooklyn. Shocker. Yeah, we definitely were drunk. We went there. to a, a party in oh, that's a house right. party in Brooklyn. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. And you were telling me you were like, "Man, I've been doing this for a long time and all of a sudden it's like the gates to the industry yeah. had opened to you." You're uh-huh. like, "I'm doing a chemistry read with Dakota Johnson." Oh yeah. It was that's like right. the next day or something yeah. and you were drunk as fuck and you're yeah. like, "Yeah, I got it." Sounds like me. And you were also, and you were kind of like, I remember the time you, you weren't super excited about it. You're more like, this is fucking weird, and I don't know how to feel about it. Yeah, no, I, I, they flew me out like twice for that. That was for How to Be Single to play her boyfriend or something, and they, the German director, chemed us, and it actually, I was so stupid, it didn't hit me, um, which was actually good. It didn't hit me until I got back to the hotel they paid for. And I was sitting there, and I was watching basketball, and then it hit me that, like, all the things I wanted as a kid uh-huh. of being, like, in a studio rom-com, which was, like, something I've always dreamed of, you yeah. know, when Harry Met Sally, and, like, anything Albert Brooks did or anything that Woody did, I was always, like, idolizing. And then I realized I had a moment where I actually hyperventilated. <laughs> they got after the test <laughs> because I was like, oh, my God, am I going to be on a poster? Am I going to be in a movie theater? Yeah. Like the theater I used to skip school to go to, like, could I go and sit at that theater and watch me on the thing that I said I would do? Like, so I, I kind of, like, spiraled, and then I didn't get it. But <laughs> <laughs> so I was kind of pissed that that happened at that moment. They still put me in the movie, which was nice. Oh, they that. did? Yeah. They, they wrote a separate scene for me. Wow. Kind of like a, yeah. Well, Dakota didn't want me. Even though I fell in love with Wait, her in that you room. Wait, really, you really, you heard that? That she didn't want you? Well, she cast her friend. And oh, she okay. just came off Fifty Shades, so I assumed that, you know, it was down to me and this other person, and that's yeah. where I was like, oh my God, I could get this. And then I fell in love with her, and it's so evident that she had no interest in me. Because <laughs> <laughs> I asked a friend who knew her, I was like, so did she say anything about me? <laughs> Let me ask. 
And then all she writes back is, who? And I was like, oh, <laughs> man, that really. Talk about putting salt in the wound after not getting the role. She didn't oh even recognize God. me. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so you did Undateable for three years. And you were great in that, by mm-hmm. the way. And I, ho- I hope you're really proud. I know a lot of people in, in L.A. particularly, like, they have a show. And if it doesn't run for 18 years, they're like, oh, man, my fucking, what a failure. You know, it's yeah. like a three, three, three seasons is a, is a accomplishment. And you guys yeah. did something really unprecedented in terms yeah. of, of doing a, a comedy show doing it live yeah yeah so talk about that how did the live thing come about <sighs> well uh, so just Bill so people Lawrence don't know it, it was the third season was a, a multi-cam workplace comedy basically like uh a friends but not a successful type show <laughs> <laughs> and uh we did two seasons we did one live show in the second season because and why did you do the live show well because bill lawrence besides chris delia and uh i'd say bridget mendler and bianca like Everyone like me, Ron Funches, Rick Glassman, like well, the rest of us. Like, I was a production assistant at the time. Rick was a waiter. Ron had never worked in an acting job. That was his first time. So, wow. but we were funny, and Bill would allow us to improvise. And so, a lot of our tape nights became known on the lot. So people would come over just to watch tape nights because we would do a take of the script. And Chris D'Elia and I, in particular, would uh, Bill Lawrence would come up to us and go, "All right, we got it." If you want to try something, try it, which never happens on a multicam because yeah. the problem with editing in a multi when you do that is you have to edit the laughs as well because it's a live audience. It's not yeah. a laugh track. So a lot of the cuts were really stupid because it would be like, <sighs> and then <laughs> for no reason <laughs> because Chris and I would go off for 25 minutes in a scene that was supposed to be two minutes. And just because we're, one, riding off the audience, two, I'm playing the straight man in it. But my ego gets involved, and I'm starting <laughs> to, like, I don't like that Chris got a bigger laugh, so then I want to get a bigger <laughs> laugh, and yeah. then he'll get a bigger laugh, then I want a bigger laugh. So we really helped each other, and Bill kind of saw that. And when we did the live show, East and West Coast taping, Bill was just trying to keep the damn show in the air. Yeah. So he's like, why don't we try doing the whole season live? Yeah. That could really get people involved, especially since we're a social media show. You know, because uh, all comics, we have to be good at social media, and it's interesting how actors and actresses aren't really aware of it until now. So... Uh, Bill finagled his way into keeping us on the air when we shouldn't have been. Uh, so after the second season, they were thinking about dropping you. Oh, they've been th- every year they thought about dropping us. I, yeah. I I got in trouble for saying once in an interview, I said I feel like we're the uh, the foster kid that they want to keep from the <laughs> the party in the neighborhood. But then I happen to sneak out of my room and my onesie, and I'm killing it in the in the living room. And all of a sudden they go, Yeah, yeah, we love that kid, you know. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I wasn't allowed to the party. And you That's, got in trouble for that? Yeah, just because it sounded like I was being a shithead. Which, by the way, honestly, I gotta give. I just sold another show to NBC with Bill. Yeah. So we're going to do that. But I got to give credit to NBC. They cast an unknown production assistant yeah. <laughs> as the lead of an NBC show. So, I mean, yeah, that's who an, else you, would do that? Yeah, you don't, you don't really hear about that much Yeah, I anymore. didn't have a SAG card until I did that show. Holy <laughs> smokes. So I wasn't working as an actor. I just assumed, I was like, I'm going to do stand-up and then I'm going to book a lead of something and then that'll be it. Or at least a role where I get the card. I never thought, and I was parking Conan O'Brien's car and getting gas in his car at the time. Oh my uh, God! And six months later, I'm on the same lot next door at the stage next door to him with my own parking spot. Yeah, which was he hated, and <laughs> he, he used to trash my car every day. <laughs> just throw whatever trash he had. He would leave lunch and then just throw all his wrappers on my car. He would <laughs> really write, would he? Yeah, he would write <laughs> hack or murder on the back of my car. <laughs> like a PA came up to me on my show. It goes, um, I don't know how to say this, but 
Conan O'Brien is trashing your car right now. <laughs> and so I went, damn you, O'Brien. And I left rehearsal and ran out and chased him down the line. Oh, my God. That's freaking genius. It was like a dream. It was like the things that I used to daydream about under the yeah. stage at Conan. I yeah. used to daydream about, like, one day I'll be a guest or one day what it will be like if Conan actually wanted to be my friend. Yeah. Like I was having those And moments. now he's trashing your car. That's mm-hmm. beyond friendship. So It is beyond friendship. I mean, that must have been – a lot of people, you know, talk about when they become famous in, in Hollywood – it really fucks them up for sure. at least a year, maybe two years. I've I've had friends, I don't want to name names, but they book huge roles. Yeah. And and I was friends with these guys and then I saw them around and they were just they were just different. They were kind of detached and they weren't necessarily that happy either. No. Um so what did that look like for you? Like how did that Well, I, I lucked out in a couple instances. I had some friends that I watched, like Aaron Paul, like uh-huh. who was a buddy of mine Breaking and, Bad, and yeah. And I met him right before the pilot of Breaking Bad aired and then watched the transformation into being the biggest show on television. Yeah. And he never changed one, yeah. one ounce. And uh, He was a little bit older, too. That probably yeah. made a difference, too. And working at Conan was the greatest lesson ever. Being a set PA, working with stage managers, they used to tell me, watch the guests behind the curtain before they come out. And I promise you, Brent, Steve Hollander, my old boss, uh, who I owe a lot of shit to, he said, watch watch Tom Hanks when he's behind the curtain. Watch Will Ferrell when he's behind the curtain. And then watch some of these other people behind the curtain. You'll notice that Will and Tom and them are still nervous because they still think something can go wrong. Yeah. Where you have some of those flavor of the week kids yeah. that come in and they're good looking and they got their big Johnny Depp hair but without the talent. And they're just back there and they're acting like the shit and they don't care and they're rude and they show up late. And... What I loved about working on that show with those people that have been doing it for 17 years with Conan was guys like that would always tell me my two bosses would be like, he won't be around in six months or she won't be around in six months. Wow. And they were right. Like you, wow. Then you never see him again. Because, you know, also I think I think fame and success brings out the real person. I don't think it, I don't think it uh, changes a person. I think it brings out the real person. Yeah, that's... You know, I think most people, especially in entertainment, spend a lot of their time being... Uh, you know, I'll show them as opposed to doing it because they love what they do. Yeah. You know, where I was fortunate enough that I, I liked high school. I had yeah. friends. I didn't yeah. have any of that kind of animosity. Like, I'll show you guys. I'll come back yeah. to a reunion and fuck you. Like, mm-hmm. and guys like Adam Devine and shit, like, or is another guy who never changed. Yeah. Is, you know, we don't have that kind of animosity towards it. We just love doing this. Stuff. Yeah. Uh, it's a shitty business, but every business is. And any dream is hard as shit. Like, you can't, you fall asleep to a job, you wake up for a career, and a career is going to fucking haunt you, and it's going to stay with you, and it's going to be a yeah. problem. Just don't be shitty to people. I'm working on the, the, the you know, on the set PA and the all that stuff side of it and the crew side of it, and then be being on the call sheet and being the talent. Yeah. You know? Also, by the way, our business doesn't do any favors to people because they, they, they're unapologetic. You know, you could be late, and it doesn't matter. I remember I was li- late uh once at undateable and if i was late as a pa they used to roast me yeah i would the whole day even conan would hear about it how long were you pa on that show four years four years okay. i did the whole run of the tonight show and then three years of conan oh wow when i was doing stand-up at the same time but yeah um they would n- never let me go when i showed up late to the set of undateable they asked are you okay do you need anything <laughs> they made me breakfast they they like they f- fed the problem so i i pulled aside the ad's and everybody and i said don't Privately, I didn't yeah. want to do it in public. I go, don't, don't do that to me. I don't. I'm late. I fucked up. Yeah. So I made an apology to the crew and the people for being late and unprofessional. And then I, I said to them, if I'm ever late, 
roast me and fuck with me and <laughs> yeah and, and let me know you don't want to say that but you don't know what the line is so yeah. you because talent you don't know how to deal with it but i've been at lunch venting about talent working at conan <laughs> yeah. with the crew i'm like don't treat me that way like i've never had breakfast made for me and i'm usually early so i'm usually there and and i gotta you know all of a sudden, I'm late, and I get a full breakfast and a full. <laughs> it's delivered to me. So you're telling me that if I fuck up, I get rewarded? I'm like, wow! Don't do that to me. Wow! Like, let's treat it like how it is. I fucked up, and I should be told I fucked up. So after that, it was great. Like Patty and Julie and all these people, they would just smack me in the back of the head if I did something <laughs> wrong. Like, we got to that place. Like they Kirsten would just be like, that, "Well, yeah, I, I, let's just be honest. Like you're mad, and let's do it." Yeah. And then sometimes they would have because everybody's on their phone. They would ask me like they would just look at me like. Can you get them to get off their phones and now yell at everybody? You mean Chris D'Elia? Oh, yeah. Well, Chris, was, uh, Chris really pissed me off on that show because this guy is never not on his phone. He had three chargers on set. But what really <laughs> pissed me off is like when he would put his phone down, it was fucking brilliant. <laughs> like, that made me so mad because I'm here trying. And then he would be like, what's the scene? And then all of a sudden he'll add like 18 things that are great. Yeah. And then on tape night I'll be like, do the thing you did in rehearsal. He goes, what did I do in rehearsal? And I go, fuck off. Fuck off. Yeah. It's funnier than he should be. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a great way of saying it. I was so like, you piece of <laughs> shit. <laughs> you don't remember it? I got to help you? So with your it, manager. So you must attribute some of this work ethic. I mean, what was your... Was that your parents? Was that something they oh, ingrained in you? Yeah. yeah. Well, my parents are inner city teachers. My brother is a professional figure skater turned doctor at Oh, Cedars. you told me about it. So, so your inner city teachers where? Uh, Connecticut, New Britain, and East Hartford, where they grew up. They both uh -huh. grew up in the city, and they taught in the city for 40-plus years. Yeah. Uh, still together. So I came from a happy home. But a definite workhouse home. Like, little brother was like, uh, you know, if you're gonna go for a dream, you better work as hard as you can. Because when you come home for the holidays, like yeah, you just get roasted. And having yeah. a brother who's a Beverly Hills doctor now, who was also a professional national champion figure skater, and then having an older brother who was a concert pianist, and now yeah. has four master degrees and runs a top forty city, like, and they're just fucking one. They're smarter than me, but they also just work their asses off. So you know, and you've hung out with my older brother. He's always drunk. <laughs> Everybody's yeah, a drunk yeah. in my family, so <laughs> that's the only thing. Except Dad, because he's been sober thirty-three years. But yeah. other than that, everybody else is a lush. Well, you're you're functioning. I'll tell you that, man. You, well, you I have wine. <laughs> wine always feels fancy. Did you ever have a moment uh, in your when you're getting all this kind of notoriety and fame, uh, where everything was available, the booze, where you were like, "I'm partying way too much." Oh yeah. Hundred percent. I would say that even this weekend. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, but you've never had the moment, the come to Jesus moment, where you're like, I gotta fucking stop. Oh yeah, I do it. Like, the worst thing to happen to somebody like me is to have idle hands. Yeah, I have to be working. If I'm yeah. not working, I'm just gonna be anxious, and I'm gonna want to do something to like. It's like how my older, my little brother says to me all the time. He goes. You, I work in excess, but I'll party in excess, and so everything is excess, and it's yeah. the same with him. He's the same. Like when he's off a shift, and he's been working fifteen-hour days for three weeks. Yeah, those are my worst hangovers. Yeah, because being around him, and he's flamboyantly gay too, which is the worst. When he goes, "Quit being such a fucking fag," <laughs> let's go. And I go, "I don't even know how to Wait react to that." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, then the next day, it's like some of my friends are scared to hang out with him because, but it's the same. It's like, yeah, I've had that a million times. Like, 
accessibility is the fucking most dangerous thing. Conan told me that too. Make sure you don't. He goes, don't be an alcoholic yet. <laughs> and I was like, well, it's already deep seated in me. So what I do is, if I'm shooting something or doing something, I'll go. I'm, I'm very militant in my work, so I don't. I could really focus and not touch a drink or anything for six months if I'm shooting for six months yeah. or have to put on weight for something, I'll do it. And then I'll take weight off in a month, you know, yeah. and like I could do that and I need that. If yeah. I don't have structure, like you're just letting me yeah. play with fire and that's going to be a problem. Well, so it that's when like I end up in hell. You're, you're, it sounds like on one level, some people would argue, well, you're not as much as you joke about alco- you're not an alcoholic. No, I am. <laughs> but if you can, if you can stop like that. Yeah, it's true. Well, they always say you're in charge of the first drink. So, but like, Honestly, like, I, I mean, not to get on that topic, but I mean, what other job in the world allows you the ability to, you know, we get rewarded with people buying us drinks after a show. Yeah. Or, and the more you climb that whatever ladder that we talk about, you end up in situations where they go, hey, you should come to my friend's house. Like the biggest problem with L.A. and New York, honestly, I spend way more money in New York, but yeah. is accessibility like. It could be noon on a Tuesday, and I'll get six text messages being like, come to this thing, come to this party. And it's just a bunch of, you know, people spending their parents' money yeah. living in a, sharing an apartment, less of caring about acting and creating and more about being famous, which, you know, yeah. but, you know, why am I there? <laughs> so <laughs> it's because I'm bored and somebody, I didn't get a job, and I'm twiddling my thumbs alone in my room, and it's like, I can only write as much as I can. I'm an insomniac. I don't sleep. Yeah. So I'm, like, constantly up working on something and sometimes your mind just wants to shut off so how do you shut it off yeah so, you know if it's not zoloft and xanax and you know have a drink <laughs> yeah N- have you have you ever uh maybe this is a little bit deep but like what about like drugs and prescription drugs because i know that like i have a uh, sort of addiction to ambien i've been trying i've been trying to kick because mm. i have insomnia too i'm always like thinking you know, eh. and i started ambien i was like wow ambien is just a solution to a problem yeah, and then all the papers came out and said like your brain is basically ev- eroding every time. Sure. Yeah, so then I started doing weed to g- to get to sleep, and I'm like, is that gonna help me? I don't know. Well, I'm it's healthier for sure. Yeah, I, mean, I guess so. Uh, but yeah, no, yeah. I, I mean, I'm good at the the Xanax part of it because I know that that is more of a thing that you could be addicted to. Zoloft I've been on for on and off for 10 years, you know. Yeah, like how did that fr- how that come out of the Zoloft prescription? Just like you had uh, a moment I had two major well, depression one. I'm clinically depressed. Human is being. that something you've known for a long time? Oh yeah. Yeah. Like it's everything's genetic. People yeah. don't really process that. My brother didn't choose to be gay. He's gay. Yeah. You know, my dad, uh, me, my mother, my both my brothers, my uncle, I mean, we're all clinically depressed people, you know. They're very smart. You yeah. Know, I get gifts from it, but there's a lot of cons to this shit, too. Yeah. And so a lot of times you can't shut your fucking head off. You know? Yeah. My mother's the reason I'm funny. She's the smartest, uh, funniest human being I've ever met. I run every script by her and every joke by her. Yeah. I'll just sit in the phone. I go, what do you think about this shit? Because I went through a breakup, da, da, da. And I was telling her a story about how I go, like, I have no backbone, Mom. I go, if you ask me twice, I'm in. It's a horrible quality. Uh, you know, it's not good. Like, I don't do drugs, but I've done a lot of drugs. She goes, what does that mean? I go, Mom, you said you're just going to listen to the arc. <laughs> you know, because my parents are in their 70s. And I go, like, I tried cocaine. She goes, you did? I go, we'll have the mom talk after this. <laughs> <laughs> I go, but I have a deviated septum of panic disorder. It's not exactly the thing. What happened to me to get on, on the Zoloft? Hi. What is this? Oh, hey, how you doing, Kelly? 
this is my neighbor Kelly who's bringing Hi treats. Kelly. Thank you, Kelly. Kelly just dropped off a bunch of See, unbelievable accessibility. Treats. You have cinnamon <laughs> accessibility. rolls. They could hear that. They go, I know that whiny <laughs> voice. It's Brent. Um, but no, I, I like I had a, a one of those kind of like m- while I was talking about that. What happened to me was I got I had a panic attack for the first time in Mall of America in Minnesota. That'll that'll be where it happens. And I was with Chris D'Elia and and Jason were you Collins. Opening for the No, him? I was doing the the club in Mall of America yeah, yeah, and of they course. were doing a theater in Minneapolis. Okay. And uh the lack of sleep and the booze and all that stuff caught up to me. And I remember I was at a, a f- one of those uh, Philly chicken steak places that are in the like food court. Yeah. And w- one thing I can't, there's two things I can't, like I don't, apo- like work ethic is a big problem for me. If you don't have it, then uh, I'll write you off. And um, taking your time really bothers me. So yeah. I watch this person take their time <laughs> and I wanted to snap. <laughs> and I guess it kind of festered in me and I, I had this. P- I didn't know what it was. I had this, p- and I ran away from them in Mall of America, uh-huh. Jason and Chris and stuff. And they thought I was making a joke, and I wasn't. And I actually almost called EMT because I thought I was having a heart attack. Yeah. And happens. then I went upstairs, and I Chris and everybody's calling like, "Dude, are you serious? Are you okay?" Yeah. And I told Chris, I was like, "You have to be around here because I might have to bring you up because I don't know how I'm going to do my last show. Because I don't know what this is, but this isn't right." You hadn't had anything close to that before. No, and then the next week, and I had to do Denver Comedy Works, which I love. Yeah. And I get on a plane. I'm at the airport in Denver, and I, s- I have a panic attack again. I don't know what it is. And then we almost had to to deplane because oh, wow. a, a flight attendant saw me having whatever I was having. I didn't know what I was having. Having a panic attack on a plane is probably the worst It was the place. worst thing ever. And, and then I immediately got off the plane. They landed in Burbank. And then I went straight. My doctors in Burbank went straight to my doctor. I had to have an EKG and shave my chest, and they were checking to see if I had a heart attack. And then he asked, he goes, well, everything's fine, but w- has anything changed in your life in the last year or something? I said, well, I went from being a PA, making 400 <laughs> a week, to starring on my own TV show to having my own special and touring and playing amphitheaters and, you know, on that oddball fest and stuff. He goes, yeah, you you um, <laughs> you have panic issues. We're going to yeah. be on Zoloft. <laughs> And so then I was on that. And he goes, and take the Xanax when you're really having an attack. So I never touch the Xanax unless I'm having an attack. Yeah. You know? But, yeah, it's the worst. I hate it. I mean, when you fly, you take Xanax? And a lot of people do that. Depends. Like, I'm very calculated on, like, okay, if I have to fly um, the next morning and not afternoon or something, then, okay, then you can't have a drink and you can't. You can't stay up late. Like yeah. things like that have to register with me. Otherwise, I'm gonna have to wake up and pop a Xanax. There's no way I can be in a car. Yeah. Because I'll have panic attacks once a week. You know, they they'll they'll hit me. Oh, they they still happen. Oh, always. Yeah. Does this type of like anxiety type thing ever affect you on stage? Honestly, the only time I'm comfortable is on stage. Like that. Like th- when it came to the in the anxiety of issue of it. Like especially after I had my first one. Once I got on stage. It was very evident that I was like, oh, I'm okay now. Interesting. So we had that last show, and and, and Comedy Works, you were like, you got on stage, you're like, oh, I'm fine. Yeah, everything was good once I'm up there. The only time that it really scared me is like, and it was after a breakup, shocker. Women could really tear your hearts out, man. Um, Is I had a panic attack on stage in Houston while I'm on stage, and it was a sold-out show, and I was like. How deep into your set were you? I was like 20 minutes in, but I knew that feeling. And yeah. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. And oh I was no. like, no, 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 no. So I had to like request, uh, can I get a drink on stage or something? Because 
alcohol is a depressant to anxiety. So, yeah. you know, that's what I saw it heightens anxiety, which causes a lot of people to continue to drink because they think it's going to fix something, which it doesn't. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was that was terrible. I had to tell Jason Collins because he was opening it for me. I go, you better. I need you stage side because I don't know if I can finish this. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And then and then you had the drink. It calmed you down and you got through it. Well, <laughs> even if you know you're having a panic attack. You s- it still sucks the worst, so yeah. you kind of have to like. There's little things you can do to help yourself. Yeah. What wh- what are the things that you do to kind of like circumvent apps? It? I have an app called uh, Companion that uh-huh. I use. I've used actually when we were doing uh, not this last time, but the other time we did uh, Gotham or something. Uh-huh. I had to use, which is basically it, it, you listen to it and it calms you down. It lets you know that your feet are on the ground, everything's fine, and it works up your entire body. And by the end of this 15 minute little meditation you're you realize oh yeah this is in your head yeah you find it's just thoughts yeah and so you're good like I, I can't believe i'm expressing this but this is you know it's a real fucking thing yeah that's why i hate when people go oh, i'm sorry i'm late i just had a panic attack i <laughs> hate that and obviously i did a female voice i know, know a lot <laughs> <of> <laughs> <laughs> i was telling you that <laughs> it's one of the one of my hot button things i go you don't know a fucking yeah. panic attack because you, you wouldn't be attack? out right now <laughs> you would yeah. be terrified so there's there's things like that and then it, Counting down and stuff, yeah. Putting math in your head, doing certain things. Do you like know what triggered you when you were on stage in Houston? Are are there things that you know, like this is a thing that will trigger <laughs> my panic attack? Well, one of the things that triggers a panic attack after you have one is the fear of having it because having you know that feeling. One. Yeah, because that feeling is like my little brother said to me as a doctor. He he was like, you know, panic attacks are the feeling of imminent death. Yeah, because you think this is what death is going to feel like. So knowing what that feels like and you kind of sense anxiousness anxiousness then becomes please don't have a panic attack which then makes you panic about having one and then you have one yeah so it becomes like this fucking terrible it's like an inception. carousel of hell yeah yeah so <laughs> it's the worst but it happens and you just have to come to terms with the fact all right you're you're all, you're having a panic attack yeah the, the one thing if i could say any listener that's listening that helped help me is is that first part of that companion app that I use which was put your two feet on the ground and sit in a chair put your feet on the ground and whether you're like me where you have restless leg syndrome and you're constantly moving like that which I always do just keep them flat and just feel the flatness of your feet and you'll realize oh I'm I'm fine I'm fine yeah this is nothing to be that part of it really stuck with me so sometimes when I'm having one I go and I kind of just put my feet flat and then I think about my feet and I don't think about anything else and I try as hard as I can whatever shoe I'm wearing why am I wearing this shoe don't ask why Brent (laughs) just think about the feet and then you think about your two feet being flat yeah and that really actually helps you get out of it right away oh wow that's really fascinating because I didn't want to be relying on a Xanax yeah of course it's what you said about Ambien you don't want to be relying on this is how I sleep or this is why I'm not anxious so yeah I do, sometimes I'll be in a panic attack at TSA, of course, obviously, any airport, and the way we travel, it's going to be hell. Yeah. And there's so many times, I'll keep a Xanax on me always. Like, I always peep in the little pocket of my jeans, and mm-hmm. while I'm really getting anxious, I just feel it, because I know it's there. Yeah. It's like my uh, insulin shot or something. Sure. You know? So, but if I succumb to it, then I'm not helping my situation. Yeah. You know, I'm just fueling this future Xanax issue. Yeah, <laughs> you know? of course. And well, do you feel like now, so so you've been dealing with the panic attack for, I guess it's been how many years now? Four or five? 26, I'm 32, so eight. Eight There's years. Somebody, eight, seven or eight. That was and bad math. 
<laughs> Six. You were right. <laughs> That's why you're a comic. Yep. And do you feel that? Um, do you feel that now that you know these tools and you have this app? Do you feel that uh, you're in control? Because like everyone has con- certain conditions, like eczema or whatever it is. Like sure. Conditions. You know, and they go. Why'd you look at him when you said that? Motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, okay, this is what it is. Oh, baby herpes. I don't have it. Tommy, do you? Uh, hey, uh, oh, that's a, but yeah. you know, like and it's does. like, and then people. <laughs> so when you first get it, whatever your condition is, you feel like, oh my god, this is the end of my fucking life. And then you find a way to live with it and navigate. And kind of, do you feel like you're at a place right now where, like, you, hey, panic attack. I know you. We're cool, and you can coexist. Or is it something that still kind of scares you? Terrifying. Terrifying. It's constantly terrifying, but sorry, that's my ride. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm dating a badass bitch. Um, <laughs> no, but but knowledge is power. As stupid as that sounds, it's not Sister Act Two. It is like knowing yeah. I have that. Yeah, I always hate the eye phobias of doctors and dentists. But after you're done doing it, yeah, and you go like, I'm glad I did that, regardless of the you know if it's gonorrhea, f- simple fix. <laughs> um, but <laughs> regardless of what it is, at least you know it's there. Yeah. So a lot of things for me are like, um, all right. I have to come in to do, you know, I have a Thursday show and I have Friday press. We're not going to have a drink and we're going right back to the hotel. Like, there's things I have to do to know that if I don't do that, I'm going to wake up anxious because I think one of the biggest things, my s- deprive myself of so much sleep mm-hmm. and being in a situation where I, I kind of, w- I never treated myself like, like, well. So I would work a nine to seven at Conan and mm-hmm. I would do 40 shows a month. Wow. And I would average three and a half hours of sleep at night. And so I would have moments where I would collapse and stuff and miss shows. I I wanted to know how hard could I push me as a person? Like, what is the level I'm willing to go to to see if I can get to where I got? And, like, and I don't care what I do to my body or who I am. Like, I'm going to whatever make it is, make it. And what does it take to get there? It's like I always say, like, you could you could wake up to it like I said earlier like you fall asleep to a job you wake up to a career but I think a dream is a dream for a reason because if everybody could do it it wouldn't be a dream but there's nothing glorious about it yeah and it's painful and terrible and having my little brother were Irish twins were a year apart in age we we're psychopaths like our older brother's smarter than us he's a prodigy yeah like things came very easy to him didn't come easy to us you know, my brother wanted to be this pro figure skater. He wanted to do the first quadruple axle in competition. And he, you know, and I wanted to be this particular thing. Like anything we did, it was violent, competitive, and psychopathic yeah. to the point that our parents are like, you two need to stop. <laughs> like, this is not healthy. Like, my little brother shattered his knee, shattered his heel, chiseled his spine. You know, all these things that he's going to deal with for years. And I did a bunch of stuff that's going to affect me, like panic attacks, all this stuff for years. Yeah. But I promise you, if I if I didn't do those things, I wouldn't be a panic attack-driven person <laughs> who's sleep-deprived, <laughs> who I haven't slept in a bed in three years, you know? What do you mean by that? You sleep on a couch, or? I'm just used to the floor, so I, I like the floor. Yeah. So I've always, like, I'm not good in hotels. Like, I'll stay at five-star hotels on certain tours, and I sleep on the couch in the hotel. Wow. I just, because I can't sleep in that bed. Yeah. And it's because I was so, because I fucked my head up so much of, I used to tell myself, like, if I'm treating my apartment like my home, I'll never leave it. 
Mm. If I treat it like a place I never want to be in, it motivates. Like I would do shit like that. Yeah. So I never had furniture and I would never have certain things. Even yeah. when I did Undateable, I still live in the same apartment I live in when I was a PA. Yeah. I live in the same place. I never left. Wow. Because I felt like if I left, I'm content. If I'm content, I can't can get bigger. Yeah. And so I was very much used to sleeping under my coffee table was a big thing for me. Getting in a relationship helped me with that and made me realize you're about a to say, fucking crazy person. Yeah, man. so in your you relationship. You need to start sleeping. Did you sleep in a bed? When yes, you I had to. Because yeah. that was one of the things she goes, I can't come over here if you're never in this bed. Yeah. And then I started taking days off and I start like Sundays and Mondays. And she was like, listen, I know I love your work ethic, but it's this is a lot. Yeah. And you need to take days to slow the fuck down and have moments. And I agree with that. Yeah. And that actually helped my panic attacks and it helped me sleep. I started falling asleep before her. That never happens. Yeah. Because I'm a very violent sleeper, too. You can't sleep next to me. <laughs> it's bad. It's really bad. Well, you have, like, night terrors? No. People think. People <laughs> think, like, I've had a friend say to me, he goes, he goes, Jesus Christ, did you go to war? What happened in your, I think you were molested. I had a friend convince me, he goes, I think you were molested, man. I think you're just hiding some issues. <laughs> well, I mean, that does bring an interesting point, because what you're talking about is really intense stuff. Have you... Have you gone to like intensive therapy? Is mm -hmm. it something that interests you or no? Well, I'm Irish and Italian, but the Irish. Oh, I know the goes, Irish. Yeah. No, I can't. But I have to. Yeah, I went to therapy for after the breakup. Like, dude, you got to do it. I think yeah. it's important. It actually was great. It's like the same thing as going to the doctor's or dentist's office. Like, sure. once I do it, I'm like, yeah, that's great. And you get stand-up is therapy. I always say, like, people, you hate this question. People always ask us. So what's your comedy like? I hate that. <laughs> so I just say therapy with laughs. That's it. Yeah. That's all it is. It's therapy with laughs for me. I say so much shit on stage I should never say. Yeah. Like well, we, we talk about you just got off stage tonight at, yeah. the, at the Laugh Factory. And I said, how'd it go? You're like, ah, I said some shit I shouldn't have said. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I have a little gash under my eye right now because I had a slap box match with my friend, even though we're in our <laughs> 30s and that shouldn't happen. And uh, I lost, obviously. I've never heard of a, a, what was it called? a slap box match. Yeah, we, we were slap boxing, and uh, <laughs> I hit him too hard, uh -huh. and then he snapped. <laughs> uh -oh. and, but also, yeah, we're in our 30s, and we're alone, and it's like, and he has a girlfriend who's calling him constantly. I go, and I, we've always had the fear that she thinks we're sleeping together, <laughs> and that doesn't help this domestic disturbance. <laughs> um, although I do want to say this. I had a funny thing. I had two friends. My, my buddy Nick and Drew were living together. Uh-huh. When they're in, like just graduated college and they had girlfriends and they would slap box or mess with each other or whatever and they're in Connecticut and as a joke, I just did quotes. <laughs> as a joke, they both called the cops <laughs> and and blamed each other for domestic violence. Oh my god! But they're stupid. Of course, the cops show up yeah. and the place is trashed and they both got arrested for That's domestic hilarious. violence. <laughs> like they've been in a relationship <laughs> for 10 years. <laughs> like they're just this aggressive gay couple. And my one buddy, Drew, when you get arrested, somebody who has, just be polite <laughs> <laughs> and you'll be fine. My buddy Nick knew that, so he was out. He, yeah. did, he spent an hour in jail, then he left. My buddy, Drew, decided to just be like, you guys are fucking pigs, you pieces oh, of shit. God. He spent two days in jail. <laughs> And he goes, why'd you get out? He goes, because I'm not an idiot. <laughs> yeah. How would you get arrested for? Um, I mean, I, everybody's been cuffed, I think, right? All right. Tommy, Wakefield, you've been cuffed before? Uh, marijuana paraphernalia, it's not quite the same thing. Nice. I got put in the ambulance one time. 
Yeah, I had that. Well, the last time I got arrested, I was in Vancouver, and I got in a fist fight. What? Uh, I got kicked in the head with a boot. Oh I had God. 17 stitches down my head. Okay, so, so I was how does that ambulance. come about? I was hanging out with the Vancouver Canucks hockey team. Okay, <laughs> so there you go. That's, 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 that's a good, yeah. And I actually did nothing wrong. I was with a guy who owned all these places in Vancouver, and we went to one of his clubs. And he's this little guy, looks like a Michael J. Fox. And this DJ was jamming out, and he goes, let's go on stage at this club. Like we were going place to place. He owns a whole street of places. Yeah. And we had some Canuck players, that, but the, we all separated. So now it's just me and this little Michael J. Fox guy. And he goes up, and we, we're on the stage, and it's fine. And um, he goes, I want to tell the guy he's doing a good job. Now, the guy doesn't know him. So he puts his hand on his shoulder to go like, you're doing a great job. <laughs> I don't know if this DJ was on meth or he's been attacked or he was waiting for a bounty, <laughs> but he just started swinging on Holy this shit. guy. So I I wasn't trying to hit a DJ. I was just trying to be like, whoa, 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 and I try to break it up. All of a sudden, I get pulled off stage by bouncers, so I put my hand straight up, and I'm being dragged through a dance floor. Yeah. And I go, I'm with the owner. I'm with the owner. <laughs> I didn't do anything. I do it because I'm like, I don't. I get yeah. it. I understand what you guys are doing from a distance. It looks like a fight. Like I'm completely understanding of yeah. it, coherent of it. Some idiot who has nothing to do with anything is, is just drunk and decides to just square off and kick me in the head with a boot for no reason. And you're upright, so he does like a. I was sitting Steve on the ground. Oh, you're sitting on the ground. So he just kicked me for no reason. Holy fuck! So I bit his boot, and we fell down the stairs together, and I got a, a huge fight. Justified, no charges. Yeah, it is hit. The bouncers were off. really pissed, and then I had to go to, you know, after they had to put stitches in my head, then they took me to jail. Um, Canadian I, jail? Yeah, which is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I I I got there and I went. I just remember like I'm uncuffed and I'm making them laugh the whole time, <laughs> and I said I'd like a corner sweet is what I said. <laughs> <laughs> and so they played along. They go, right this way, Mr. Moran. What do you think of this cell? And I would go into the cell and go, no, <laughs> it just doesn't feel right. <laughs> and so I kept going cell to cell to cell until I got to the corner. And I go, is there any way we cut, like, mm. and this is just me spitballing. Can we get a window over here? They go, no. I go, perfect. I'll take it. <laughs> and then I sat in there, and then I woke up the next day completely unaware because I was obviously concussed. Yeah. I woke up to whoever the mayor is with a bunch of people going from cell to cell. And so I wake up, and I'm like, oh, it's like worse than a hangover. And I feel the bandage. I go, uh-oh, that's not good. And I see the guy, but then I remember the two cops that are behind him because it was, you know, 5 a.m. when they took me in, and now it's 7 or something. Yeah. So I go, thank God you guys are here. Can I just get two eggs, scrambled, <laughs> wheat toast, wheat toast, no butter, on the side, Yeah. bacon. And then behind, I could see the two cops going, shut. Shut the fuck <laughs> up. Like making them laugh so hard. I go, I don't see toast. <laughs> they close the door on me because at the end of the day, you're going to make mistakes. But yeah. I come to terms with it. I wonder why my ex left me. Um, but then I had to get out of the cell, so I started flipping out because I had a 10 a.m. flight. So I started kicking the door until somebody let me go. And the cop home the goes, What? And I go, What do you mean, what? Let me go. And he goes, What are you going to do when you leave? I go, Go back to the U.S. He goes, Good answer. And then he let me out. And then I was convinced they stole my watch, and then I snapped, and I started throwing things at people. And At the precinct? Yeah. And I was like, where's my watch? And then I got back to the place they put me up in, and my watch was on the uh, – <laughs> I never took it out. So I went, whoops. It's a lot of things. Ended up being pretty buddy-buddy with those cops, so they came to my show the last time I went to Vancouver again. Oh, that's again. great. They, they, yeah. yeah, they brought their family and stuff. I got to know the kids. It was – you know, that was their experience. <laughs> Did you tell the story when they were there? Oh, yeah, 100%. Oh, I said the whole thing. I go, by the way, 
I got back to the place. My watch was on the counter. And one of the guys <laughs> goes, I fucking knew it. I go, arrest him. <laughs> we got a heckler. Throw him out. That happened to me and Jason. Jason Collins and I had a moment like that when when I was in film school and I just graduated. I was like four months out of film school, and it was right when Jason and I were really becoming friends. If you don't know Jason Collins, look him up. He's one of the funniest, most talented people I know. And it bothers me how talented he is because I always thought I was very talented. And then he sings better than me, and he can (laughs) he plays guitar better than me. Even though he goes, I've never played guitar, and he goes, I go, I hate you. So we're shooting this thing called uh, it was called Lethal Action. Never came out. Shocker. And basically it was like a a satire of 80s movies like Lethal Lethal Weapon. Weapon, Yeah. And he's the old cop and I'm the young gun. And it was fucking funny. We had a good time. But we're in Long Beach shooting a scene and they make a fake cop car with camera mounts. And this guy that was shooting it was an idiot. And he had um, this fucking gun that looked like straight out of I don't even think it's like it was like Judge Dredd type of gun. You know (laughs) what I mean? Like it was like uh, that's not even like a phaser. It was stupid. Yeah. And uh, I kept saying, uh, and he kept playing with it in the neighborhood in Long Beach. And I said, stop playing with this fake gun that looks so real, that's so aggressively big, because he was going to put it on the cage that we put a fake cage in the car. Yeah. And I said, uh, can we put the gun down because we're going by school? I said all this. Yeah. Next thing you know, Jason's so Long Beach. He grew up in Long Beach. We see one cop car. He goes, oh, shit, it's going down. I go, what? He goes, we're going to deal with some situations. And I go, I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Keep in mind, we're dressed like we're in the 80s. <laughs> I look like Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. I got the white Reeboks with the tight acid wash jeans, <laughs> the shitty thing. The T-shirt with the blazer oh, over yeah, it. Oh, yeah, the whole thing. Yeah. And then and then uh, Jason is like aviators. He looks like shit. We both look like shit. <laughs> and um, all of a sudden, we get sandwiched in in this neighborhood. Eight cop cars on both sides with a helicopter <laughs> because we just drove by middle school with a fucking gun oh in the back. Jesus. It looks like we're scoping yeah. out kids to kill or something. Yeah. So, of course, they take it seriously. And then they make us all put our hands out the when I'm s- terrified, you know. And the guy who's the director is in the car with us taping it. So everybody has to go out one by one. Jason was the most OG about it. He, uh, They go, put your hands out. And then they go, now get out of the car and back up slowly. So he's backing up slowly. Now get on your knees. He goes, I'm not getting on my knees. <laughs> I go, this isn't the moment to be preaching. Because <laughs> he's had knee surgery. Oh, yeah. Jay from his fighting past. Yeah. So he goes, I'm not getting on my knees. Yeah. And so they cuff him. And uh, they take him. And then this guy, Scott, goes, and by the way, family's coming out in the house. I mean, it looks like straight out of a Denzel Washington movie. Like, it's a crazy scene. Yeah. I'm the last person to go. And we, we all have our hands out because they want to make sure we're not reaching for a gun. I forgot that I'm buckled. You know, so they go, get out of the car. And I was like, huh. And then I realized, <laughs> oh, my God, I have my seatbelt on. But if I reach. reach, it looks like I'm reaching for something. Oh. And they're all shotguns drawn on us. Holy shit. So I'm trying to yell, I'm buckled. I'm buckled. <laughs> they go, what? And I look like a fucking idiot. And they go, what? And then Jason had to go, he's buckled. He's got a seatbelt on. He's scared. We're shooting a film. He's an idiot. And I go, just unbuckle. Like, no, I've never heard casual conversation on a blowhorn before, but that was the funniest <laughs> thing ever. Just, yeah. just unbuckle, man. Like, the steam's lost. I'm surprised the chopper didn't leave. Like, this sucks. <laughs> and then I start backing up. I start thinking, and I got a gun in my head, and I have to back up slowly. Well, you have a gun at your head. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They had, they had like, guns. Dr- it was crazy. How close were they with the guns drawn? Well, this one woman, she was like about about 
foot away from my head with a gun. Holy shit. And, and, and a woman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That To be honest. <laughs> 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 she was the only one who snapped. Everybody else was okay. Yeah. Um. So they uncuffed me. Or no, first they put me in a, uh, they put us in three separate cars and they go, when are you guys going to jail? Uh-huh. And I'm in this one car and I look like an idiot. And I go, listen, sir, I'm just an idiot. And they put me on my knees, and I'm starting to think, like, should I pursue the arts? <laughs> I just graduated college. Now I'm getting arrested. I'm doing this for free. I'm actually losing money doing this. Like, yeah. I'm having all this epiphanies going, this is stupid. They put me in a separate car. You got Now you got about, like, 80 people in the neighborhood watching this whole thing. Yeah. And I'm in the back. The cop goes, you know, you're an idiot, right? I go, yep, 100%. I'm one of the dumbest people you ever meet. <laughs> and I'm just being self-deprecating because I'm being honest. Out of nowhere, a mailman comes up. He goes, you know, people are smashing windshields, too, so you should look at him. And I went, geez, really? Oh, my God. <laughs> he walks away. And the cop starts laughing. He goes, you guys are just fucking idiots, huh? I go, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes, well, when do you have to go to jail? I go, well, a director for sure. <laughs> I go, I'll throw him under the bus. I have no problem doing that. And of I course. have him laughing. I go, I have no problem throwing that guy. I'll, I'll name his name if you want me to. <laughs> I have no fuck. I told him not to do this. So then they move me to another car. And I'm going, are you fucking kidding? I'm going to be the one who goes to jail? Oh so God. I'm walking by Jason's car, who's furious. Yeah. And just to make him laugh, <laughs> I started thinking about what we really did. And I was like, oh, this is obviously a fine and stupidity, but this isn't a big thing so i start wrestling with the cop that i had met and i start yelling i'm just an actor i'm just an actor <laughs> i'm an actor like it's attica and dog day <laughs> like <laughs> and, J- and then i get in the other car jason tells the story all the time and i start looking behind me at him with a smile on my face and he was like that shit eating grin made me want to punch you in the fucking head <laughs> so they let us go they put us on the curb all three of us um, as I'm in the other car, though, the female cop who had a gun in my head, she goes, you're lucky I didn't fucking shoot you in the Holy fucking face. Shit. And I went, you're lucky you didn't shoot me in the fucking face. Yeah. That's what I said. She goes, you getting smart? And I was oh like, Brent, God. turn it off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so Check your white s- privilege. Yeah, and then they sit me down last next to them, and they uncuff me. And the first thing I say is I go, you know, we got a show tonight at the Gas Lamp <laughs> uh, in Long Beach if you guys want to come, just because I knew it would make Jason laugh. And then the uh, chief of police goes, you guys going to talk about this? Jason goes, I'm going to talk about this tonight. Yeah. And 15 of them came with oh, their holy families. Holy shit. <laughs> with their awesome. families. Oh, yeah. And we both talked about that whole story from our different perspectives. Oh, my so God. Fun. And then That's they got great. us wasted. And I think they drove. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome story, man. <laughs> that was the most terrifying experience ever. Yeah. Had. I mean, We're having a gun point here, I can't even imagine. God. And I would never win in prison. <laughs> I'm not a good fighter. I remember the the first time I ever saw you was I was still in film school yeah. in North Carolina. It was only a couple years ago. I was uh, on the Laugh Factory YouTube page. Uh-huh. You had that I'm leaving video and the high school video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there was that Chris Alia video of him making fun oh, yeah. of you singing on stage. <laughs> yeah. Me and all my friends fucking loved all of that. <laughs> and uh, I know you went to film school and then you moved out here to be a comedian. And I was just wondering more details about the come up. Like, what was the process like? When did you know you wanted Give to be a comic? Give him some advice. Give this young buck some advice. Honestly, like... I was sitting in film school and a screenwriting major and like when you come from whatever town you're coming from, you're the only person who has that dream, you know? Yeah. And so it's really uh, humbling and depressing when you're surrounded by people who think they have the same thing. So, and, and you know the people that aren't good. Yeah. yeah. You know the people that are really bad at this. 
like whether they're directing, acting, or writing, or whatever, you go like, or singing, or stand-up. You go, man, you're bad. To the point that they're so bad, you start going, am I delusional? Maybe I'm bad. Yeah. And so I'm in screenwriting class, and I'm getting shitty notes. Mm. I had zero interest in stand-up growing up. Zero. Never you thought of it. You didn't watch it. You didn't. You weren't. I fan. watched it once, and I got it, but I had no interest in it ever. Yeah. Ever. In fact, it was the only thing I said I couldn't do. I was like, I can never do stand up, mm. and I had no interest in it. And I tried so hard my freshman year of film school to be a. I wanted to be. The Scorsese, the fucking. Sure. You know, the Spike Jones. The fact that I said Scorsese, as he knows as a film student, <laughs> like, I'm pretentious alone because that is how you say his name. But um, <laughs> I'm like, I, I wanted to be that powerful thing, but everything I wrote was horrible. But comedy was so easy. And I yeah. was like, what am I hiding from? And then I went to the Laugh Factory, actually, and I saw a show, a live show. Do you remember show, who was on it? Yep. I remember Dane was on yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And I'm from New England. I am in the the generation of when he was the college comedian. Yeah. Um, in 2008 when he blew up is, or 2004 when he blew up is like when I was my first year in college kind of Yeah. and growing up in New England I knew of Dan Cook when I was in 7th grade Yeah. everybody knew in New England of him and then I saw him I lied I said I had his album I didn't and then I saw it live and I said oh man that's kind of interesting and then I started looking up guys like Albert Brooks and Woody Allen and all these people and even Judd or whoever was the guy and I was like oh man people are Michael Keaton I was like people yeah. do stand up and I wasn't getting criticism and screenwriting, and and I'm used to a household of a doctor and a fucking concert pianist who are just going to tell you you're the worst piece of shit ever. <laughs> so I'd rather be criticized than have something. And I was like, am I as crazy as this person that's writing the worst thing I've ever read? Yeah. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm bad. Yeah. So I tried stand-up for that purpose, and then would do it casually. So how did you first start? What was your first club, and how did you first Laugh Mike? Factory. Oh, you got Laugh Factory. Three hours to do the three-minute open mic. Yeah, you wait in line Harvey on the Tuesday. Yeah, Harvey yep. Dunn. And actually, Jamie told me to quit. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. When I had to sit with him, he goes, Buddy, I don't think you're a comedian. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Which is funny now, because now he says, he goes, Buddy, you're, you're like the Richard best Pryor. comedian ever. <laughs> <laughs> Which is fine, because I was horrible. I'm 18, 19. What the hell can I talk about? I had nothing yeah. to talk about. So he wasn't wrong. You know, I appreciated his time. Yeah, but I did sit in my car under where that AMC theater is now. That used to be the Lemley. Yeah, that I I sat and cried in my car listening to the Once soundtrack. He'll know that movie. <laughs> um, so that was great and dramatic and white. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I it hit me at like twenty. I was like, this is a business that's subjective. That's probably the best and worst thing of this fucking business. Yeah, is just because people like. I don't want to take anything away from somebody like this, obviously, because it's right, but somebody like Jordan Peele that makes Get Out doesn't mean that there isn't a kid in North Carolina that could do the same damn thing, maybe better. Who knows? Yeah. There's so much talent out there that's ridiculous, and the thing is in this business is talent is part of it, but it doesn't doesn't dictate what happens. Yeah. I think it's all timing, you Mm -hmm. know? Like, if... Dude, if I did Undateable in the 90s, I'd be a millionaire. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I wouldn't be in the apartment. I'd be a millionaire and OD already. <laughs> like, that would be, that's just what it is. Like, whatever the timing of the situation is, I don't think certain people are better than me at something or this. I think you just, I think talent equals longevity. I think that's the one thing that, that's the only thing that doesn't hide, mm-hmm. you know? I think, honestly, like, that's, but I also think talent can be built. 
I think there's an instinctual talent and understanding mm-hmm. and self-awareness, but I really believe nobody's great right away. Scorsese wasn't great right away. You know, n- like yeah. you're not going to be great right away. Like greatness is work ethic and, and sacrifice and hell. You know, it's just how much do you want to fucking do it. So I'd say as a film student too, doing shit like this, being around this podcasting or or being involved, being in the scene of wherever the hell you want to be, you know, I, that's the most important shit in the world. Yeah. Like, you got to be around everything all the time, at all hours, on weekends, you know, doing shit that, you know, isn't necessarily sexy or f- fucking cool. It's just, you know, like, I had a movie that just came out on that's on Amazon now, The Outdoorsman. I can't stand my performance in that. But I learned from it. And sure. And I could do it better the next time. You know? Yeah. Like. But I know there's something that it's in there. Yeah. People that suck are the people that go brilliant. Brilliant. I used to that hate that so with writing, writing majors. They go, nailed it. I was like, well, <laughs> this is going to be the worst thing I ever read. <laughs> if you don't hate anything you do, then you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the outdoors, you, you don't like your performance. Is that just self-deprecating or do you look at it and go, I know what self-de- I, d- I think self-deprecating. I am self-deprecating, obviously, but, I, you know, I'm not – I'm also not, like, reaching for comment. I personally – look at it and go I could do better yeah that's all yeah. like I, I, n- I don't hate it I yeah. think it's actually I think they did a good job with it I just you know I was like shit if I knew they were gonna do this I would have done this you know that's the one thing with stand-up I loved it's like and that's what I loved about the multicam is I knew what was coming out yeah you know you know this is an actor and somebody who's done Broadway you know like you know beginning middle and end when you're playing Mickey Mantle you know what the trajectory of that night yes. is going to be but you do a movie you have no fucking idea you have no idea how they're going to edit it the entire damn thing was completely changed from the script but he wasn't wrong on doing it but if I knew that yeah. I would have done it differently yes <laughs> so of course it's like it was supposed to be a drama uh, dramedy type thing and it's like it's kind of light yeah which is fine because it actually makes sense like I understood why he did it but I wish I knew then yeah. I wouldn't have been so melodramatic in some moments. So now, I, like, I can't even look at myself in the fucking of, co- of course. And also, films are sh- not shot chronologically. No. So you have to be like, okay, we're doing your mental breakdown scene first day. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's true. <laughs> I did have a mental breakdown scene in that thing, and I had to, like, sob and cry. And it was supposed to be, like, this really touching moment. They used it in a montage over a pop song. So I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, so happy I did that. I <laughs> just not done that. <laughs> yeah. But you never know. Yeah. So it's, it's a, such a fuck thing. Yeah. I'm a no. control freak too, though. I should probably yeah. explain the panic problems. Now, have you written? Uh, you've written screenplays. Have uh-huh. you written movie screenplays? Oh yeah, yeah. Movies are hard to go. They're hard to get made. Yeah. Been trying for years to get certain things made, and it's just so fucking hard. TV is like I think any. So my advice to any film student and you is uh, I've had a lot of luck selling shows from the TV standpoint, and the way that they're treating television right now, it's and the way movie stars want to do TV now. Yeah. I'd say take whatever movie you have, expand it another thousand pages, and make it ten episodes. Yeah. I mean, otherwise you're not going to get something made unless you have somebody who has money. Yeah. Like otherwise, and and somebody who's willing to lose it, because you could sell something to Netflix and make way more. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, it sucks. I hate it. I mean, I got in this business to make movies one day. You know, I always wanted to do that nice tracking shot, like they didn't <laughs> do the right thing. You know. Yeah. I always had that vision. I put it in everything I ever shot, and I was like. <laughs> Oh man, you're such a fucking film kid. But <laughs> but now it's like, well shit, what if I could write something that's like, you know, take some of these movies that I've written 
uh-huh. when I was so ambitious in this the film world and like and trust me I've gotten close and it doesn't happen and it's just what it is you know it yeah it's like well what if I could take this and turn it into a thousand pages and make a, a show out of it and you find that like movies you're really trying to condense a whole feeling in an hour and a half yeah where the way the television landscape is now with streaming and everything mm-hmm. is that you could really tell the story you've always wanted to tell. Yeah, you do limited series. That's yeah, like you the could new thing. really go and like in depth of the shit you really wanted to do. Yeah. And to the point, I would even argue to say, you call it blasphemy, shoot it your fucking self. Like sure. it's so easy to do. Yeah. You could shoot an entire anthology and sell it as yeah. a product because I always say this when you're pitching something, you have to treat people that you're pitching like, I hate to say this, but it's like, and I can say this because I was in special ed, but I was in special ed. <laughs> I was in resources, they called it. And that's how you have to treat pitching. Yeah. You have to paint the picture as much as you possibly can. Otherwise, they're not going to know. And it's not their fault. Yeah. Because their job is to, if I fuck this up, I'm fired. Yeah. We don't think about that. The turnover that happens in studios and, and, and uh, production companies is so quick. It's like the way... They don't fire us. They cancel us, you know? Yeah. They have cancellation bear, cute websites. <laughs> yeah. No, man, 200 people just lost their fucking job. Yeah. And then that person that goes, so-and-so is out of Disney, now moved over to, you know, whatever, you know, uh, Three Hearts or whatever, like yeah. stuff like that. But now that person's fired there. You don't think that person is like, I lost my job. <laughs> yeah. I lost my health insurance. I lost this. Yeah. So you don't know what decision you're going to make, but creatives who give shit to those people it's like we're not in the business of doing that if we were we could do it we can't if yeah. i sit there and look at a fucking spreadsheet i'm gonna ruin the business yeah but i can create something for you sure but i've sat in cubicles i'm bad at that yeah i'm not good at that yeah they are so to keep yourself from want to put a bullet in your mouth you gotta realize okay it's hard on their end too you know yeah so if you can paint a picture as much as you can, that's the best way to do it. Yeah. Now, as a control freak, have you done have you done something like Soup to Nuts that you've created and shot and put out stand there? Stand up. Other than stand up, no. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, I I have things that people haven't seen that I, I yeah. use as as tools. Um, but that's why I kept stand up. Stand up is just a constant short film. Yeah. You know. It dictates everything. You write, direct, and star in your own production with your own point of view. And as long as you're pinpointing certain parts of your act and you allow those executives and people to come out and see you, when you say this is funny, and they might not think it is because they don't get it, but they're also scared to get it. Yeah. And then you take them out to the Laugh Factory, say, uh, that night, and they see you kill with the same concepts. Yeah. Then they go, yeah, shit, maybe this is funny. Because ah, they get to see it. That's that's yeah. what I started realizing with stand-up. Stand-up became my greatest weapon. You know, it became my short film at Sundance. Yeah. That's how I got Undateable. Yeah. When I never was acting before that. And that's how I got, you know, selling shows and stuff like that and getting deals. Yeah. You know. And when did you realize that you were uh, a gifted comic? Like, where was the moment where you went from being like, I'm a comic. I like doing this to like, wait a second. I actually have something where you, you felt like this is going to be my career and this is what I, I'm, I'm going to give the world or whatever. I honestly, I don't know. Like, I. I I remember watching when I was when I saw it live for the first time, and I remember the lineup too. It was Dan Cook, Joe Coy, Russell Peters, Ahmed Ahmed was on it. I think maybe hosting or Jay Davis was Nick Thune right when he popped and he had his moment. Yeah, you know. And I remember Joe being the funniest, 
I remember Joe Coy killing. He was doing Killy. his orange chicken bit. And yeah. I was like, and I was such a Dane fan. I was like, wow. And Dane murdered too. But yeah. Joe, I was like, shot. I go, really? And having that thing, when I saw that live and I said, this is just what I did in high school. This yeah. is what I did at the, the, which by the way, this is why we have hecklers in our job because <laughs> because people <laughs> go, I could do it. <laughs> yeah, you know? of course. So I'm basically yeah. the same frat guy <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's going, I'm going to go try it. Yeah. You know? But once I saw that, I said, oh, shit, maybe I could do it. I, I, I didn't know I was good at it. It took me till I was 22 or 3 to get my first real laugh. Mm-hmm. I thought I was doing well. And then when I said I got that real laugh, that real d- I went, yeah. man, I've been bombing for years. <laughs> like, I have been bombing. Yeah. Like bad. And then I didn't get a, a, another actual real laugh until I was like 24 or 5. Yeah. But uh, that's when I started realizing, like, stop talking about other shit and start talking about myself. Yeah. That's th- the hardest. W- one of the things that you're really fucking good at, and I remember you used to do this bit about, uh, thinking about having a kid oh and yeah it was kind of a rant about the, the daughter the creepy daughter son, and yeah. the hot son <laughs> and yeah. you have like a real like linguistic gift like you can go <laughs> on these long long rants and then ends it ends with you kind of popping out so i snap out of it i'm like no i think however and i remember going like i want to try to write a joke like that <laughs> where i go into like a, a fantasia about what would happen and i actually i and it was i think it was something about like the earthquake buying earthquake kit and i couldn't do it i just don't i don't have that that same well, nimble. i can't do the like i can't do i can't write a joke <laughs> like <laughs> your jokes are like scenes yeah they're very, they're, visual. they're very exactly like everything i do are dialogue and scenes it's me playing multiple people yeah. everything is screenwriting yeah that's just what I'm used to because yeah. that's literally what I did in my fucking room as a kid. Yeah. Sitting there yelling at pillows and interrogations for <laughs> no reason. Like, yeah, yeah. S- you know, so you like be a little off. So we do something, <laughs> another one, uh, your, uh, the quest, the quest bit, which I remember I think the oh, first time yeah. I saw that was at when I opened for you at Gotham. Wait, I'm talking about Tone Bell? Yeah, it's like, we, we gotta go on a quest. quest. And <laughs> as you were talking about, and I watched you probably several shows, and as you were talking about the stories going to the party and how it, it always kind of changed a little bit, yeah. which kind of blew me away because I was like, how could this not be completely written? How can you, because <laughs> you speak very, very quickly and very articulately, yeah. and you're able to obviously like call these thoughts together and put them out in a way where you're still 50 miles ahead of the audience. Well, I, I've never, ri- I don't, I can't write anything down. I've never written a joke down. Never written a joke down. So it's just no. like, it's almost like stream of stream consciousness. Stream of consciousness. So I, I could do that pretty well i i honestly it's to me like um it's music for me yeah i i love music more than i love stand-up for sure like i always say like i might live for comedy but i'll kill myself for music so yeah i just you know and i i had some bad experiences when i was 18 19 uh you know having some record offers and stuff and and uh just dealing with the bad part of that business kind of like I'm hesitant to get back into it. I, I just started recording again oh recently. Wow. Um, what type of music do you do? I mean, it's like my stand-up. It's all therapeutic. It's all, you know, so is like... It f- is it funny? Is it kind no, of... No. So you don't, no. Combine your, you don't combine your Stark. music with your stand-up <laughs> at all? <laughs> no. Yeah. No, I, I like the release of it. So I, I was hesitant to get into music um, uh, until recently because, because once stand-up went from being the thing that I was like, man, it'd be really cool to just not have to be a construction worker or, or door-to-door salesman or a fucking, you know, 
flower delivery guy or all the shit I had to do. Man, imagine if I could just make like, you know, 500 bucks doing stand up or something. And then all of a sudden you go from that to then why the hell did he get more than me on the bonus? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> and of then course, it becomes yeah. business. Yeah. And I kind of was like hesitant to get in the music because I didn't have that kind of therapeutic escape the yeah. way stand up was for me or acting or any of that was. And so I like going to my office and playing and writing music all the time. Yeah. Um, but it was eating at me so fucking much recently that I'm like, to the point, I used to go and play with the Conan band. Like some people, the uh-huh. had a, a band, a side band. I used to go and do stand-up, laugh back at Comedy Store, and then after midnight, you know, go and jam with them. You know, they would do local gigs once a you week. You were just singing? Were yeah, to yeah. improvise jazz music and stuff. And I think I saw you do play, that one time, yeah. You know, and just just stuff that and like the rush I had from that so when I look at stand up I always am like the most naked you could feel is the greatest performance you ever put on you should know that from doing theater like when you can strip away embarrassment I mean you're gonna be the best stand up and the best singer and the best person you could be so for me the stream of consciousness thing was like if I can get to the place as a stand up the way I do musically Mm -hmm. where I'm like I can get on stage and go, I want to be in love. I'm not ready for a relationship. <laughs> and I could really mean it. Yeah. The audience is smarter than we give them credit for. They'll feel it. Yeah. And they'll feel that. And when I found that, I was like, oh, that's that's what I need to do. Yeah. You know, I opened my set tonight talking about why I have a cut on my face because I'm slap boxing my friend in my 30s and I ruined this whole day and I shouldn't be doing this anymore. And that I had no point. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> they were laughing because they were like, oh, this guy fucked up. <laughs> 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 and like just having that kind of freedom, you uh-huh. know, I try to do it with music. It's just but then, you know, people are the thing with music is it's like when people say they want to do stand up, they want to try it. And then six months later, they want their special and they want their, you know, yeah. the same thing with music. To me, I'm like, I'd be a hypocrite and arrogant if I think that I could just, at 32 years old, just get into music. And then two months later, I'm going to be, you know, fucking playing the staples. <laughs> like that's not <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that's what the other thing that kind of depresses me. I'm like, shit, I really wish I was pursuing this at the same time because Donald Glover is great. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's a perfect example. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, and there yeah. are also stand-ups, and we were not going to name ends, maybe a Laugh Factory stand-up who actually did put out an album as well a very funny stand-up that was mentioned tonight really yeah. oh nice i roll <laughs> oh I didn't know. so um do you f- do you feel that you um you're setting yourself up to like massive scrutiny as a stand-up trying to break into the music does that does that bother you as a thing no. like no it would have bothered me when i was 26 27 yeah. 28 32 I don't give a shit anymore like honestly if I could the only benefit of music comparatively to stand up which is by the way and I know you could attest to this I've been on stage in the theater aspect I've been on stage as a singer a musician I've been on stage as a comic there is nothing harder in the world than stand up comedy there is absolutely no public live art form harder than that there's nothing more disrespected there's nothing more treated. That's why we were jesters back in the day. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're great at it and it's, it seems easy, people think they could do it. Yeah. <laughs> you could play three chords on stage with an electric guitar and people think you're a fucking brilliant musician. Yeah. And you're not. And that's one of the things I started doing out of spite on some of my headlining sets where I play piano on stage and then sing nothing. <laughs> and then people go, wow. And I go, really? <laughs> and then I would snap about how easy this is. <laughs> like, you're an idiot if you think this is something. Now, the thing with music is you could fucking have a YouTube video and it goes 30 million hits and you're the biggest name in the world because music's more universal than stand-up. Sure. So, 
you know, have I daydreamed about that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> would I change to get neck tattoos? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have so many neck tattoos. I'd definitely get the wings on my back. Yeah. No, whatever I, that is. I, I really you know, like <laughs> Beckham, he has the wings <laughs> right yeah, on his you neck. You can't have tattoos unless you do music. Yeah. You need wings. Wings <laughs> have to be somewhere <laughs> on your body. It <laughs> <laughs> has to happen. Can't wait to get wings. And I remember you used to do, uh, I don't know, you used to do this troll musical. Oh, yeah, I still do that. You still do that. That was <laughs> yeah. great because you're just like, what if there's a musical about trolls? And, and, and again, every night it was completely, completely different. Yeah, different. I still haven't figured that out. And I would st- I'd still feel like audience members, and it was like massive amounts of talent because you're singing in troll voices and stuff. And they're looking at you fascinated, but also like, what the fuck is going on here? Oh, yeah. I love it, though. Yeah. I mean, honestly, a part of me is uh, stand-up allows me the ability to um, say, just joking, guys. Yeah. You know, it's a lot more scary to, um, I just get asked to do, uh, David Sullivan, a good friend of ours, an actor, uh-huh. asked me, a friend asked if I would be willing to do a cabaret show on uh, December 8th and sing whatever Broadway song, and it's like, they have real Broadway people and stuff, would you do a Broadway song or, or something, and I had to take like two days to think about it because that doesn't give me the crutch of being able to make fun of it. Me. Interesting. So because it's almost more naked. It's more yeah, vulnerable. Yeah, it's, it's something I'm terrified of. Like, wow. even when I do music, if I'm jumping on somebody else's show, mm-hmm. fine. Yeah. Like, they don't expect it. If I'm singing on my own show, or if I'm playing the piano at the improv, who cares? Yeah. Like, I can bomb. I can make fun of it. Yeah, it sounds good. Deep down, I wish I could just commit. Yeah. But I'm fucking scared of it. Like, sure. and so, that was one of the things when I saw you play Mickey Mantle, too, and having to commit to th- because as a stand-up we always have the luxury of reading a room and knowing how to go like well i fucked that up you know but you <laughs> can't do that when you're yeah. doing theater or if you're doing broadway or a musical or something and that to me is like something i have to get over because i haven't gotten over that yet because i'm like t- a little scared to fuck up yeah because if i fuck up and i can't call myself out then it's like it, if I call myself out when I fuck up, it's like oh he meant to do that. No, he yeah, didn't. Of I fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to do that. Yeah. I didn't mean to talk about half the shit I talked tonight. But I'm also w- well aware of when I'm fucking up, and I go well you didn't laugh at that, and then they laugh at that because yeah. they know I'm aware. Yeah. But you can't do that you when, can't you're do that when you're on stage singing Dear Evan Hansen. Like no, you can't. <laughs> you can't cry and bomb. Uh, <laughs> that's know? fucking hilarious. So it's like that. There's this fear I have to just get. O- I have to get. And so you are doing the show on December eighth, right? Yeah, I said yes. Uh, yeah, fuck yeah. Do you know what you're going to sing? Uh huh. I'm going to do uh, For Forever from Dear Evan Hansen. <laughs> Dear Evan Hansen. But instead of it being about, I said the only way I'll do it is if uh, we treat. Uh, you know, if you don't know the song, it's basically him talking about the like. Daydreaming about this friendship. Will you sing it for us right now? Yeah, this forever and ever. That's it. <laughs> uh, see, I got uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> but I said, you know, the only way I'll do it is if we could uh, maybe the lyrics work the same way if I treat it like a bottle of alcohol and then I'm talking to a bottle of alcohol about running in the summer and falling out of a tree and all that. But yeah. I could commit to that and it would allow me the crutch of not sure. really committing. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But st- it's a baby step. I'm, yes, it's a yeah. baby step is what yeah. it is because I'm, I'm terrified. Like I, I, I told you that when I, wh- when uh, at Caroline's, I was like, you should do Broadway. I mean, it seems like I'm that. so scared. <laughs> you would be I want to do man. it for sure. Scott Ellis, uh, you know, yeah, of the course. Big Broadway guy, huge Broadway guy. We're working on a show together. We're trying to do uh, a musical uh, sh- comedy show. I shouldn't say a lot about it, but it basically it's like Boston Blues about two cops and yeah. me and David Finn, who's in School of Rock, and yeah. was nominated oh, wow. for an Olivier. That's, That's why I said I said you should you should talk to your people about being the king in Hamilton. Oh yeah, King George and Hamilton. Imagine Could though all those words. 
No, but it's 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 it's, <laughs> a, it's a small Hamilton, role. Hamilton, Hamilton, <laughs> Hamilton, Hamilton. Like, oh, bro, that's not the word. I panicked. I panicked. I panicked. I'm so sorry, guys. Everybody, I'm so. It's like uh, Larry David when he was doing the <laughs> oh, yeah. when he just stops the whole show. <laughs> that was exactly what happened if I did it. I would love to do it. It's one of my like uh, reach dreams for sure. Yeah. But right now, I'm like. Uh, we're gonna start with a cabaret on December eighth. Yeah, I think I, I need to. I need to be around people that because they're so supportive too. But yeah. I don't believe them. You know, <laughs> like I'm a comic. I go, you're fucking lying. You think I'm trash? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're doing good. I don't want to hear that. I hate no. that. I don't want to hear yeah. me fucking up a pirouette. That's not it. Whatever the word is. <laughs> and then they go, that was, good. that was good. I don't need to hear that. Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna fuck it up. But yeah, I think I'm doing that December eighth. Yeah, but yeah, that shit scares me. I want to do it, but I have to like be. That's the most naked. You're right. That's what it is. Like uh, same with music. You know, a lot of the music I write is like, "Are you gonna kill yourself?" I go, "No, <laughs> yeah. no, I just." <laughs> <laughs> well, you're going. You are going to make an album in the studio. Are you self-producing it or? Yeah, I bought a bunch of shit. Um, I started making music again. I, I record like uh, on my phone. I wake up and I have I've had this since I was a kid. But since I ever had voice memo, I I record probably uh, you know uh, over a thousand little things that hit my head. Yeah. That will just could be a rhythm a thing, you know, a lyric that I go, oh, I don't know where that's coming from, but put it down. So I just start putting stuff down and I start yeah. looking at how to write something. But once you play with somebody who actually knows what they're doing. It's like, man, yeah. I really should have practiced. Because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen, music could be very easy. Yeah. But real talented people know, you yeah. know. It'd be like the prop comic version of music if they ever saw me. It would just be a bunch of real musicians <laughs> in the back going, look as at this hack. As long as you have a bottle to sing <laughs> to, you'll be fine. In any song. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, li listen, Brent, I'm so glad you came in. You, you're such a talented talented guy. You're such a nice guy. <laughs> no, you really are. And Do you have anything that you want to plug coming up we're gonna make sure we get this before your december 8th cabaret so we can have <laughs> oh go boy to yeah i forgot what that was too um man when people ask you to plug something and you realize you have nothing that really <laughs> you have a lot of stuff in, in the works but you want to talk about it's yeah, true i sold the show to nbc um a multi-cam hopefully we get to shoot the pilot i might as well throw it out there it's untitled brent warren project right now but hopefully that goes and uh, other than that, uh, you're working at all the clubs in LA. Are you on yes. any tours coming up? Or I finished my tour, and now I'm gonna go back out after the new year. I'm gonna okay. go back on tour and work on this new hour, and hopefully bring Troll Musical to you. <laughs> and uh, that's my goal. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, on top of that, you know, I'm uh, gonna be in uh, an Avenger. No, I won't. But <laughs> you never know. <laughs> I would love that. You'll know if I'm an Avenger. My hair is better, and my <laughs> face is better, and I'm fit as shit, and I won't talk to anybody. I always that's say, you, that's know. How, you can always tell how well someone's doing the business by how fit they are. Oh, yeah. Where you, you go, know? like, what are you working on? Like, Andrew Santino got fit as shit? I went, wow. He's, he's got serious. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That guy's killing it. <laughs> and so you're at Brent Morin on Instagram yeah, and Twitter everything. and all that Brent stuff? Brent Morin. It's for everything. Oh, awesome. Dot com. At everything. Great. You're one of the most talented guys I know. Such a oh, nice thank guy. thank you. I'm so glad you came up and did the podcast. I'm happy uh, I did it. Thanks again. It's anyway, a great backyard. If you people don't know, this is like something out of the real world. This is fantastic. <laughs> I have tiki torches. I love uh, it. Anyway, that is Bill Dawes with Brent Morin signing off from Afterlife.